Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you like listening to Warriors in Their Own Words, check out our other show, the Medal of Honor podcast. The link is in the show description. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words. In partnership with The Honor Project, we've brought this podcast back at a time when our nation needs these stories more than ever. Warriors in Their Own Words is our attempt to present an unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. Thank you for listening, and by doing so, honoring those who have served. Today, we'll hear from Staff Sergeant Leonard Goff. Goff served as a tank commander in World War II, fighting in both the invasion of Normandy and the Battle of the Bulge. In Normandy, I was a tank commander and responsibility of tank commander's radio communications. From the battalion commander on down, you listen to what goes on on the radio. You got a radio operator relaying to you what you're going to do, when you're going to attack, and everything else. That is the main thing about it. Every crew member in there knows what to do. The radio operator, the assistant driver, your driver, your gunner, all of them know what to do. And when communication was passed and we had earphones that we could hear what was going on on the radio, they knew what to do. They knew what was going to happen. But the only trouble, you never know when you're going to get hit. That was the biggest problem when you buckle up in that thing. You never know when you're going to get hit or what was going to happen, if you're going to run over a landmine or what. Well, at that time, we thought the chairman was the best tank it was. We didn't know that the chairman could be knocked out. We thought as thick as that armored was, that uh, couldn't nothing destroy it. Uh, we believed that. We were taught that. We were told that all the way through the time I was in the Army in the tank outfit. And uh, we never realized what was going to happen to it when we got in combat. And we were green when we got in combat. But it took, a, oh, I guess, three or four weeks. At one point when we made an attack there at uh, Point de Haas, all the tank commanders' tanks were knocked out. Even our battalion commander's tank was knocked out. Colonel Sam Yeoman, Hogan, he was knocked out. And we lost 13 tanks there in that one, one situation when the first one I had got knocked out. That's where it was at. I never heard no hollering going on by the crew members. I know when the tank gets hit, you never know what's going to happen to that crew that's inside that tank. Lots of crew members in there lost legs and lost arms and stuff like that when that German 88 would come through there. A lot of them got killed. Uh, some of them was in light tanks. They'd run over landmines and they'd blow the whole front of that tank off. 
that's the problem you run into. You don't ever know what's going to happen when you get hit. It's just like if somebody puts you down in a 55-gallon drum and you put four men around that drum with 24-pound hammers and all of them hit that drum at the same time. That's the impact of that shell hitting. You don't realize how much force is behind that shell of that 88 that once hit that tank. And you'd be surprised what a bazooka will do. When, uh, when I had one knocked out with a bazooka, that Trulin, the road that goes into Trulin, Germany, it lifted that tank almost up off of the left track when that bazooka hit on that left side. There's so much impact behind it. Nobody can get hit with a tank without being wounded. And if you drive the driver in there and that tank is hit on the left side by the driver's side and he's sitting in that bucket seat, he's going to lose a leg. He might lose his life right there in that driver's seat. So you got to sit the driver next to him, and he ain't got no way to open the hatch to get out. That's reason some of them get trapped in there when the tank catches on fire. And I was always lucky to go out the back and go over the side of it. We lost lots of men in them tanks. They had a good gun. They had a good tank. And we had lots of respect for the German soldier. He was a good fighter. But we always thought we were better than they were. And undoubtedly we must have been we won the war. But we had a German major told us one time, he said, the reason the United States have won the war, he says, y'all could turn out the Sherman tanks faster than we could turn out the 88s. And that's the reason y'all won the war. It was, it's real bad on you. A German tank could knock you out a thousand yards. Or 1,200 yards, he could knock you out. Uh, we could not knock out a German tank 600 yards. I fired on a Tiger tank one time and it ricocheted. It ricocheted, the shell ricocheted and hit it and ricocheted off of a Tiger tank because it wouldn't penetrate. And that's when you back off and get out of the way because he's gonna come to where you at. And it's uh, the main thing about the tanks uh, catching on fire. Sherman tank burnt, it burnt real bad. Well, a bunch of them burn up. When they catch on fire, they burn, and the men would get trapped inside and couldn't get out. And uh, we could we could elevate our gun better on the turret than the Germans could. Ours was electrical operated turret, and theirs were hand operated. And we could elevate the turret faster than they could. That was one advantage we had over them. But as far as putting that seventy six that we had in that seventy five up against that German 88. That 88 would outfire us any time. A better gun, better shell. Well, you training, you was always taught in the training how to get out of a tank if it's hit, the speed to get out, be able to get out of that tank within five seconds if it gets hit. <clears throat> like we trained up there at Fort Benning, Georgia, in the 2nd Armored, we'd do it all day long, day after day practicing down there in the motor pool, getting in, getting out, getting in, getting out. Well, what did you do? You would get in the tank down at the motor pool airport, but then we'd all get in the tank and button up. And when you get all buttoned up, your instructor stand out in front with a stopwatch. And he'd take a sledgehammer, 
and he'd all of them hit the front of that tank, and you got to kick them hatches open and come out of it. And he'd stand there timing you on that stopwatch. If it took you 20 seconds, that's too slow. Get back in. He don't tell you nothing. He just says, get back in, that's too slow. And you get back in, you buckle back up again. You close the hatches. He sets this little stopwatch, and then he hits the tank with a hammer again. You come back out again. Still too slow. You might be five seconds faster than you was the other time, but you're still too slow. He'd want you to be able to come out of that tank anywhere from five to six seconds when that tank is hit with that thing. And you get practice of doing that, and you can do it. And when you get in combat and you get that one load, it hits that tank. It always comes back to you, the training you went through up at Fort Benning. How to get out. Where to go. Don't try to stand up and go out to crawl out like you're pulling into a parking lot. Come out of that thing faster you can in a sliding position. And that's the same way when that when that driver comes out. He comes out right over the front, right on the ground. He's going to come out of it. Because they say you got 15 to 20 seconds from the time that tank gets hit, that that combat load of ammunition in there is going to start exploding. And you better be out of that tank before that combat load starts exploding. And you're going to get a fire. And it's a problem you don't ever know. Uh, I hope don't nobody ever have to go through it. Because if you do, you better be young when you go. Well, it's a rough battle now that you get hurt every time. It's, it's no saying that you don't come out of there getting hurt. I got hurt every time. After it, I got the Purple Heart and two Oak Cluster. clusters. The last time when it was hit with a bazooka, when we made a recon in Trulon, Germany, and on the left-hand side was cordwood stacked up, and the left-hand side was being machine gun with that 50 caliber on the turret of that tank. And then we got orders to turn around and come back to the roadblock. And when the driver shifted down and he pulled that left lever to turn around, that's when that bazooka hit under the left-hand side. And it moved that tank on them tracks. And I came out of the tank, like, through training, come out of the back end of it. Well, I landed on the asphalt flat on my back. My nose was a-bleeding. My mouth was busted. I couldn't hear him. I believe it was the 83rd recon that came down through there and gave us cover fire with machine guns firing over our head that they train you how to go through that optical course on a machine gun fire. And we crawled back out, and I ran into an infantry patrol. I'll never forget it was seven men and the second lieutenant. And I couldn't hardly hear what he was saying. My mouth was bleeding. And he was wanting to know if I wanted to go back down there at the tank with him. I couldn't go back to the tank. I don't even know where my steel helmet was at. It's a, a situation there that I'll tell you about it. A hard situation to explain unless you've been through combat. You don't wait on nobody. You don't wait on nothing. You gotta, you just like, I, I don't know how to put it. You're more like a, a beagle out there hunting rabbits. I guess you ain't gonna get out there and run a fox. But uh, you got an objective. Your objective is to destroy the gun and we do not wait on nobody. Just keep moving. Keep moving. If a man falls in front of you, go over him and keep moving. Don't stop. 
The one objective, destroy the gun. And that's where we're trained, destroy them. You never had the same crew. I never had the same crew. Um, medics would usually pick them up. They, they get wounded and they wouldn't be able to be back in the tank outfit. I got legs shrapnel. I got uh, shrapnel in the arms. But uh, I was lucky I never got killed. I always remember one thing. My mother was a real religious type person. And every time she would write me a letter, she'd always put on the bottom of it, come home at supper time. That's something I never forgot. See, I had a brother that got all shot up in the Catherine Pass there in uh, North Africa. He was in the 3rd Infantry Division. Him and Audie Murphy was in the same outfit together. And uh, Arnez, when he played on Gunsmoke, he was in the 3rd Infantry Division. He got wounded there in Normandy. He got shot through the hip. But I'm going to tell you, I'd hate to see anybody go back through a war again. I wouldn't want them to go through one like uh, a no-win war. Our objective was to always take that town and see what's in the next one. And we always done that. I can't say going up there, taking the town, and then pulling back. That's just a waste of manpower and to do that. I've told several of them, I said, well, in the Vietnam War, if they'd give the 3rd Armored Division each man in there a quarter cognac, would have took that place in a week. But uh, that 3rd Armored was a good outfit. If you've got a driver, and you've been with that driver over there in England, you went through maneuvers in England, saw bear planes and all through that on the maneuvers, and you know how he drives that tank and everything, and he gets wounded, and you get a replacement up there, don't make no friend with that replacement. I don't care nothing about your background. I don't care nothing about you. Don't tell me nothing about you. I don't want to know it. Because if you get killed, I'm not going to worry about what your wife or your kids is going to think about you. I don't want to even know you're married or nothing. And you don't make friends. You don't make enemies, but you don't make friends as close as you was with the men you went through training with. When we went through training with, I knew every one of them. And then we get in combat over there, and they get killed. I know we had one boy that uh, was from Gatton up here. He told me, he says, if I get killed, I want you to go see my parents in Gatton. If you get killed, I go see your parents. Well, he got killed. I never went to Gatton. There was no need of starting the old flame burning again. And it's, uh, you get a trained bunch of men that you stay with all that time. It's just like two brothers staying together. It's altogether different. You don't want to get involved with him and know a thing about him, and then you, you find out he's got children at home or stuff like that. Then you know that if he gets killed in combat, they're going to take that telegram out there to the family and everything else. And then you got all that on your mind. Forget about it. Just don't have it on there to bother you. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? 
In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Coming up on 5-Minute News... I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. I watched new ones when they would come up and hadn't been in combat, and our shells would pass over, and they couldn't tell the difference in incoming mail or outgoing mail, we called it. Incoming mail is when the Germans fire, outgoing mail is when we fire, and they duck. When our, our shells would fire over and they come over with them, you'd see them duck or run behind something. They didn't know they hadn't been in combat long enough to know the difference from the two types of shell whistling. The main thing I always tell them, don't try to be a hero. You don't need no heroes. Because if you think that German ain't a good soldier and he's going to kill you, you made a mistake. Because he was good. He was well-trained. And uh, we were well-trained. I like our training. We were trained. But uh, they told us we are the best equipped army in the world. But we found out in the Battle of the Bulls down there and all that snow and ice and everything that we wasn't the best equipped army in the world. We were out there with ODs on and the Germans had on fleet line coveralls. Their tanks were painted white. Their rifles were white. The fleet line coveralls were white. And they could crawl up on you at nighttime through that snow and you'd never see them. And we was out there looked like a lump of coal out there with them ODs on. I just had a job to do, and that's all we done is try to do the job that we had put in there to do. But I remember we had one time where a lieutenant told us, he said, I want to tell you one thing. Now, them tanks cost $85,000 a piece. Don't lose it. Well, I don't want to lose one, but I'm not going to jump out of that tank and run out there and tell that German on that 88, don't shoot, because that tank cost $85,000. Because I know he's going to do it anyway, so... And we had a replacement came up one time, a lieutenant. Had a little gold bars on. And I said, Lieutenant, we don't wear them things up here. We was in Normandy at that time. He said, what rank are you? I said, staff sergeant. He said, you ain't got no stripes on. I said, no, the men know what I am. I don't have to advertise it. I said, you don't want to come up here and come back with them. He said, but I just left Fort Benning, Georgia, and went to OTS for 90 days. I said, I'd take them bars off. I wouldn't wear them up here. Well, he wore them. He got killed. Great restoration sniper got him. Had them little bars on and them telescopic sights. That sniper will pick you off. Leave them little bars. We know you're a lieutenant. Don't get out there advertising him. It's like them little patches they used to put on the back of her helmet. White patches. 
and officer's patch would be straight up and down white, and ours would be crossways. We'd cover that thing up. I don't want to be out there with something showing on the back of my helmet. White like that. We were trained different than the Germans. If you saw five Germans out there and you could pick out which one was the sergeant or the lieutenant and knock him off, you'll take the other prisoner. You put five GIs out there, pick out the sergeant, shoot him, and one of them been sergeants, they just got busted. They can take right over and do what the other one done. That's the kind of training we had. Side of my tank was suicide. On the inside of the tank was a picture of Betty Grable. Standing there with that bathing suit on. And I don't know why the name suicide was picked or what. Unless you was committing suicide to fool with this tank or this tank was committing suicide for going into combat. I don't know what it was on there for. We didn't, uh, didn't put it on the next one, no. And some of the tanks we got might have been replacement tanks. I know one of them we got there, one old new tank. I think it came through maintenance. Maintenance must have repaired it or something. And it came up there to us. Oh, every tank knows what a urine bucket was. Here's a gallon uh, tomato can. If you had a urinate, it went to the driver, it passed all the way around, it gets back to the second driver, he can open his hatch and throw it out. So we pulled up there one time, we all used the urine bucket and the tank uh, set the driver, opened the hatch to throw it out, and throw it right on the colonel standing out there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never forgot that either. <laughs> yeah. Well, I tell you one thing, they're different now than the tanks they got now. The tanks they got now is automatic transmissions and air conditioners and heaters and everything. We didn't have no air conditioner or heaters in them tanks. Uh, one time we fired on a truck. We backed off on the shoulder of the road and had the 76 looking right down the highway. And here come a German truck down through there. And we were camouflaged. And all at once they must have seen the tanks sitting there because they started waving white flags when the HE fired, and I remember it was a mess truck. All they had on there was 55-gallon drums of beans. They were looking for an outfit, and they got lost and come up on us. But there was beans all over the highway. You don't look at what you've killed. I've heard lots of people say they went through combat and they weren't scared. Ain't no man went through combat and wasn't scared. If he tells me he wasn't scared, he didn't go through combat. I know I done my job when I volunteered for the Army. I wanted him but a kid when I went in the Army. I wanted him but a kid when I was driving a tank in the 2nd Armored Division. Um, I was regular Army. I was trained to do what you told, discipline. And they don't have discipline in the Army like we had back then. It ain't there like it was when I went in the Army at Fort Benning, Georgia. And we used to get out there on that 29th Infantry Parade Field and prayed all day long, all day long. We'd, they'd drill us, right flanks and left flanks, till we got it damn perfected, perfect. And you don't see that no more now. We also up there at Fort Benning, going up there barracks with a brass rail that went from the bottom all the way to the top. If you ever touched that brass rail, and you polished it for about seven weeks every morning, you learn not to touch it next time you went up there. 
And they don't have the discipline like we had back then. In the regular army back in 1940, it's altogether different. I served under five generals in the 3rd Armored Division. And the first one at Camp Polk, Louisiana, General Gillum, all the way up to General Rose when he got killed at Patamore. And I've always, I was always proud of it. And if you go up to Memphis, Tennessee now and you walk in there to the museum and you see every Preston's uniform, you'll see that 3rd Armored Division patch on it. That's what he served in was the 3rd Armored when he was over there. Our mission that we were told to do was, and they briefed us and everything and showed maps. We studied maps and everything else to the top of Point de Hoc were to get rid of the guns, the 155 houses that was aimed towards Utah Beach. That was our objective. We studied every map. We trained with the British commandos. But on June the 1st, they took us down to Weymouth, England, at the port of Weymouth, and they put us on the ship to Amsterdam. That was on June the 1st. We stayed on the Amsterdam all the way up through that storm and everything out there on that channel to June the 6th. On the morning of June the 6th, we were 12 miles off the coast of France at 2 o'clock in the morning when they give us flapjacks for breakfast. We loaded up on LCA, landing craft assault. We was under British, British ship, British LCAs. And you load up on that thing to let you down to the water. And our company commander, Captain Slater, when they let him down to the water, he said, this thing ain't going to sink, ain't going to float, it's going to sink. Uh, you could stand in it and reach over and touch the water. Well, when they started moving out to going in towards the beach, we were supposed to be going due north, straight to Point de Hoc. We were bare left. Buddle O'Mell, the first sergeant, told that British sailor up there, can't you read the compass? You're not going to Point de Hoc. You're going off course. We had to come back up the coastline three miles up Normandy coastline to get to Point de Hoc. We were supposed to went in at 6.30. We were supposed to went up Point de Hoc up to the top by, in five minutes. We never got up there to Point de Hoc to the bottom to 10 minutes after them because of that British taking us out of the wrong way. And the Germans was already alert that we were coming up. And that's when they started, we shot grappling hooks, and it was barbed wire. One of those sand down there on the beach, it was mud, clay mud, where the Navy had chilled it, knocked them craters in that seawall, and all that mud had come down there on the beach, with in mud over our shoe tops. And we went up them rope. And the Germans were standing on top shooting at us. They were throwing hand grenades off. We were getting machine gun fire from Omaha Beach. And we went up and done what we were supposed to do. But when we got on top, it didn't look nothing like the map did that we studied. The roadway and everything was tore up. And there were no guns up there. The guns had been moved back about two miles. And they were pointed straight toward Utah Beach. But the Germans that were supposed to be manning the guns weren't even there. They were 250 feet or further down in the apple orchard, eating apples. We used termite grenades on the guns. And that's what, a termite grenade will melt that metal. That's what it does when you put that on there. And the guns were destroyed with that. But Lomeo was one of the sergeants that done that. 
And then uh, when we get back, we fight three counterattacks. With the ranges we had left, it wasn't about 80 of us left, we held off three counterattacks on the point of, top of Point de Hoc. And I remember one ranger was, German was bending over, firing down on us. This ranger down on the beach down there on the bottom had a carbine and he shot back at him and hit him. And when the German fell off the top, he knocked two rangers off the rope when he come by. Hit two rangers, knocked them off. I saw a lieutenant. Rope got cut. German cut the rope with the lieutenant. And he landed in that mud and everything with a Thompson submachine gun. And he was there trying to get that mud and stuff off that machine gun before he started back up the rope again. He knowed what a chance he had if he walked out there to the water. And the range is a rough outfit. And the main thing, if you always do it, if you see a German tank or something like that, if you're trained as an infantryman, if you will fire down the barrel of that gun or that 88, if he's got a shell in the projector, and you fire down the barrel of it, your bullets can jam that shell in that projector. And then when they fire that gun, it'll blow up. Because mm-hmm. it comes in there, the shell is sitting in there in the shape this way, and when you fire in there and the bullets come in the side of it and wedge it, and when they match it, it's going to blow. It ain't going to come out. And always, um, we were trained to always watch where your traces go. That's what you're carrying traces for. That's when you're firing traces to know where your bullet's going to go. And if you start putting anybody ought to be able to hit a diagram five inches in diameter. And that's about the size of an 88 shell with about five inches in diameter. And ought to be able to put a bullet in it. And we made some rough training in them rangers. The people that don't get the credit is your medics. The medics is the one that ought to get the credit. The man that's unarmed, daring all that machine gun fire on them beaches, treating old wounded and everything. And he's the man that ought to get credit as a medic. I've always said that. But uh, you got your objective, and you got to do it. If you don't, what good did it do to land if you're just going to stay down there on the beach? The worst thing they've ever done in the world is when they give us flapjacks at 2 o'clock in the morning. That maple water syrup <laughs> makes you seasick. I drink some of them got seasick when they eat that flapjacks with that water maple syrup, we called it. I remember uh, after I got out of the Army, I'd have dreams at night time. And I'll never forget one that uh, the German infantry was advanced to war just and I was firing the 50 caliber machine gun. And the bullets were coming out of the machine gun landing about 20 feet right out in front of me. And a German officer walked up there and he picked up some shells and walked up there to me with them in his hands. He told me, he said, Sergeant, the barrel burned up on that 50 caliber. You need to get a new barrel put in it. And I've never forgot that. That's a dream, Lee? Yes. Those shells was coming out of that thing, landing right in front, wasn't going nowhere. And he picked up some of the shells and brought them to me. He said, you need to get the barrel chained out on that 50 caliber, it's burn up. And I never forgot that. That was Staff Sergeant Leonard Goff. 
Thanks for listening to Warriors in Their Own Words. If you have any feedback, please email the team at kharbaugh at evergreenpodcast.com. We're always looking to improve the show. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review. Warriors in Their Own Words is a production of Evergreen Podcasts in partnership with The Honor Project. Our producer is Declan Roars. Bridget Coyne is our production director, and Sean Rule Hoffman is our audio engineer. Special thanks to Evergreen executive producers Joan Andrews, Michael DeAloya, and David Moss. I'm Ken Harbaugh, and this is Warriors in Their Own Words. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.